I want to read to you a passage of Scripture and then uh, tell you what I think it's saying to us this evening or this morning. It's evening somewhere. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through 27. And some of the Sadducees who said there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind his wife uh, and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers and they first took a wife and dying he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, and nor did he leave any offspring, and the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. It reminds me of the story of the guy there, by the way, who was on his deathbed, and his wife was there with him. And he said, I think about our life together, and um, you were there with me through all the trials. You were there with me when... The house burned down and the business failed, and when I was in the wreck, you were there with me, and then as my health declined, you were there with me, and I've come to just think of you as bad luck, and uh, you wonder why they kept eating or cooking this woman. (laughs) Six dead husbands, married to the seventh, seven dead husbands, and then she died. Verse 23, therefore in the resurrection, when they arise, whose wife shall she be? For all seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, uh, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush uh, passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. I wonder if you've thought about what uh, heaven might be like. I wonder if you've thought about some of those questions that are, I guess, silly questions, but perhaps crossed your mind. Questions like, how old will you be in heaven? Uh, Will you be 18 or eternity, or 30, or 90, or what would it be like if you lived to be 90, but your father only lived to be 50? Surely your father wouldn't be younger than you in heaven. Surely there's some perfect capacity that we would be in heaven. Or what would we look like? Surely there aren't moles in heaven. Surely nobody has short legs. Surely all the men are built like Tom Selleck, and all the women, perhaps like Rita Hayworth, Surely we, we are, are perfect in whatever image that we would uh, portray. And what would families be like? I know a, a guy, and uh, he was adopted uh, very soon after his birth, and, and uh, his adopted mother was uh, in all aspects like his real mother. But then as he grew older, his real mother uh, got her life straightened out and wanted a relationship with him. And and, de- de- and desired that, and I think in her mind, in heaven, all would be made right. In heaven, perhaps her child that she had given up for adoption would be hers in reality. But I think his adopted mother would think otherwise. So who's 
mother will uh, be his true mother in heaven. You can ask silly questions like that uh, your whole life, but here are the Sadducees, and they're asking about marriage. They say, who will be married to who in heaven? You have uh, this woman, she has seven husbands. Uh, this is a, a working out of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25, we read that if a man was married to a woman and there was no uh, offspring produced, specifically no son, that when he died, if he died uh, particularly early, that, that she would be uh, given to her brother or his brother to, to have a child. And the ideal is that a man ought to have somebody to carry on his name. A man ought to uh, have someone to be the uh, receiver of his inheritance. And so she ought to have a child by his brother that would be his heir that would carry on his name. Of course, here you have a situation that's posed where uh, seven brothers die. There's still no child. And they ask, who's uh, wife will she be in eternity? Now, it's important to note that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, so this is a trick question. They're posing him an impossible question as evidence that there can't be a heaven because this is a question that's too big for even God to solve. The problems on earth are too big to be even worked out in heaven, and that's evidence that there is no heaven, but they didn't start with the evidence. They started with a theological proposition, which was this. The Sadducees only believed that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, were inspired. They only held to Moses as having inspired word. So when the Sadducees came to the Scriptures, they knew that Daniel taught a resurrection. They knew that Isaiah spoke of a resurrection. They knew that Job spoke of a resurrection. They knew that David spoke of a resurrection. But in their opinion, only the first five books of the Bible were inspired. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They only held to Moses having inspiration because Moses received what he got on the mount from the lips of God himself. And David, although perhaps inspired, we know that David did not live a great life. Who's to say that David's writings were not tainted by David's sins? We know that Moses received it from the word, uh, his word, directly from God, so only Moses is inspired. So they said, but Moses did not teach a resurrection. You go through those five books of Moses, we don't read of a resurrection. And so the Sadducees are again coming to Jesus and saying, we don't believe in a resurrection. And here's an example that proves that there can't be a resurrection because life is too complicated. Whose wife will she be? Jesus looks at them and he has two words for them. He says, well, first of all, you don't know the Bible because Moses did speak of a resurrection. It's in the writings of Moses because in the burning bush passage, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was. So you miss that. It's in Moses. They're living. They're alive. They're with the 
They're in paradise. They're not was. They aren't was, but they are. So you miss that part. You don't know the Bible. And secondly, he says, not only do you not know the Bible, he says, you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't understand the power of God. I mean, here they are, and these Sadducees have, they've looked at heaven, and they've said, if, if heaven isn't like earth, it can't be heaven. And they're not alone in doing that. The Indians loved to hunt, so it was a happy hunting ground. There had to be hunting in heaven. Hunting's the greatest thing for the Indian, or some Indians, I suppose, enough of them to talk about the happy hunting ground. The Vikings loved to get drunk and kill each other, so they had Valhalla. And so in Valhalla, you fought all day, and then uh, at night you were all resurrected, and you would drink wine from, the, from skulls. And, and that was Valhalla. That was heaven. They say the Jews didn't believe in the sea or they didn't like the sea. And I think that's probably true in some ways. You don't read about Jewish sailors so much. They stayed off the oceans. They stayed off the sea. So William Barclay would say that for the Jew in heaven, there is no sea. What a miserable place to be. There's no beach in heaven. Missing out on pork and the beach. What an awful existence. <clears throat> and uh, so they were guilty of trying to create heaven and saying we know what happiness looks like we know what joy looks like we know what it takes to have a fullness of life and that's what heaven is like so the Sadducees again look at the situation and they say not only did Moses not speak of heaven but if it's heaven is really heaven it's got to have marriage and more specifically It's got to have that shameful deed in marriage that produces offspring. It's got to have that. You know, got to have that. It can't be heaven if it doesn't have that. To which Jesus says, You don't know the power of God. You don't understand the power of God. You don't get what God can do. You think it's got to be this way, but you have no idea the capacity of God to bring contentment and fullness in your life apart from what you can understand. You don't understand his power. And that's true, isn't it? I remember when I was a a kid... uh, I loved baseball. I ate, slept, and drank baseball. I'd come home from school and throw the tennis ball against the brick wall, you know, hours at a time. Loved baseball. And when I was in the field, I would look up at those poor, miserable adults in the stand and say, it must be horrible to not have baseball in your life. Look at that. How could you ever be happy without baseball? Of course, there's a lot of things better than baseball. You don't know that when you're nine. I think my children, they, they receive those plastic gifts and I think those toys that they've wanted for the last year that they receive at Christmas, they look at them and 
They say, say nothing's better than these toys. Of course, there's a lot of things better than those toys. C.S. Lewis, I think, put it this way. He said, if you go up to a little boy eating a chocolate candy bar and try to explain to them the joys of a great marriage, he looks at you and says, I don't know what you're talking about, but it can't be better than chocolate. But of course, there are things in life better than chocolate. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's looking at the Sadducees and saying, you're like a bunch of six-year-olds. All you have is this. All you've got is a bar of chocolate. And you have no idea what heaven is like. You have no idea the power of God in heaven. You have no idea what God can do. You don't get it. Now, of course, there is marriage in heaven, isn't there? We know there's marriage in heaven because the marriage of the Son and His bride, the church, takes place in heaven. There is marriage, and it's the ultimate marriage. It's the ultimate wedding where we're all married to Jesus. Jesus and the church is together, and we don't know what that's like, but whatever we have on earth is like a horse and buggy, and that's going to be a Tesla. Whatever we got here is sort of like the old radio, and there is like plasma TV. Whatever we got on earth is so small and minute and weak compared to heaven. I don't think he can even describe it to us, but you have to understand that in heaven, the full power of God will be on display. I talk to people who go through difficult things in their life, and they say, what's going to happen in heaven? Because terrible things have happened to me, and what's going to happen to the memories? And how is God going to deal with the memories that I carry? Will He just wipe them all away and leave all the good memories? Maybe. But God's a powerful God. I think of Psalm 73, where the psalmist says that the evil, when they arise... When God moves against them, it'll be like awakening from a dream. And I think that that's going to be what it's like for people who had everything on earth but God. It's going to be like awakening and all the good that they had, all that they had, it's like awakening from a pleasant dream at the beach and there you are in your dismal home. It's not real. And I think oftentimes, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I think that God could, could wake us from a nightmare. And there are people who have lived nightmares. But when you wake up, it's nothing but a nightmare. It's, it's not even real. It doesn't even feel real. I've told people, and I'm sure I've told you at this point, um, I had a dream many years ago where uh, my wife was killed. And it was a vivid dream. It was a nightmare of the worst sort, and I woke up, and, and uh, I mean, it was real. It was a gripping dream, but there she was, and I was a kissing bandit all day. I mean, the, the dream improved our marriage. It was rich. It was real. I mean, it was nothing but a dream, and you know, when you think about like 1 Corinthians 15, 54, where it says, death is swallowed up in victory, what that means is that death Victory swallows death. And I don't know about you. I've been with the hamster all week. And he swallowed a lot of stuff. And one thing you know is that if you keep swallowing stuff, it makes you bigger. So 
Victory swallows death, so death makes the victory bigger. And so all the things that are death-like on this earth only makes the victory better. I think in heaven, people have had terrible lives. They wake up and, oh, it was just a nightmare. It was just, it was nothing. It was just a nightmare. And that makes heaven all the better for them. It's like awakening and they become the kissing bandits all through eternity. It's so wonderful. It's so great. It actually makes heaven all the more special. I don't know that that's true. That's my reading of Psalm 73, but I know this, God has power. And if you say, I don't know how God can deal with my past, what's heaven going to be like if the people are there that I don't, that uh, I don't think I can live without? Understand, he has power. You have to understand the power of God. You have to understand the power of God in this world. See, it's just not that God has power there. He's got power here. And when you walk around and say, it's, it's impossible, do you not understand the power of God? You say, this addiction has gripped me. I'll never be free. Oh, but there's a power. There's a power. There's a power of God. You have to factor that in. You say, well, I could never forgive. Oh, but there's a powerful God. You don't understand the power of God in your life. I was talking to a woman whose husband uh, had been very unfaithful to her uh, at a certain time in their life. And they were a great godly couple and had been married for over 50 years. But I was very close to her uh, to the degree that I could say, you know, I know that you've had a wonderful life together. But you still have to remember all the stuff he did. He was very unfaithful for years, right? You still remember when he climbed into bed smelling like another woman's perfume, don't you? That must come back, right? And she said, you know, here's the thing about that. She said, he was unsaved when he was cheating and I was unsaved when he was cheating. And we found Jesus, and we became new creature. She said, so I remember what he did, but it has no emotional impact on me. It's like watching Gone with the Wind and seeing Scarlet cheat on Rhett. It's just a story that happened to somebody else. We were two different people then. It's like reading it happening in a book to somebody else. I have no, again, no emotional connection to what he did to me. You don't understand the power of God when you say you can't forgive. Oh, you can. Maybe not you in and of yourselves, but there's a God who can help you forgive. It is possible. And when you say, I can't do it, do you not understand the power of God? Think of Paul, that great uh, man of God. I I mean, imagine how they prayed for Saul. He's persecuting the early morning church, and he's getting people thrown into prison, and he's consenting to their death. Uh, Can you imagine how they prayed? If I had been in the early church, and there's Saul 
who's persecuting the church, I would be praying, Lord, kill him. Save us. Kill this guy. Give him something. He's trying to wipe us out. Save us from Saul. I bet you nobody prayed, Lord, save Saul. Make him a leader in the church. Help him to write half the New Testament. And help him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Who would have had the faith to pray that? But there's a powerful God. There's a powerful God. And so if you believe in the power of God, you ought to pray big prayers. I mean, you and I might be saying, Lord, my grandchild, help him not to, help him not to end up in prison. Help him not to get caught by the law. Lord, help them just to stay out of jail for the next year. But you aren't praying, Lord, save them. Put them in a church. Make them the greatest preacher this town has ever seen. I mean, that's the essence of what they should have been praying for Paul. But again, when you believe there's a big God, you ought to increase the size of your prayers. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Jesus is looking at them and saying, you don't understand the Bible. And you really don't understand how great your God is. Do you understand the power of God? There may be people here today who, you know, are in a season of of loss. And we're all in a season of loss, if you think about it. And it can come into our minds what came into the Pharisees' minds, which is, it can't be heaven without that. If I, did, if I don't have that, then it can't be heaven. And we can do that on earth. We can say, if I don't have that, I can't have joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. I, I know God says that I can have joy that passes or, or, or peace that passes understanding and joy. And spirit. I understand that, but you really can't have that if I don't have these things. Do you understand the power of God in your life? Do you understand that even when you lose your youth, you can have joy and peace and contentment? Because there's a powerful God. Even if you were to lose your health, you can have peace and joy. There's still joy in the Lord. There's still salvation. There's still peace that passes understanding. Uh, do, you, do you understand that there's a powerful God? So you can't ever say, well, if I don't have this, life can't be heaven. No, even without that, there's a powerful God. Life can still be worth living. You lose people in your life, and even some of you maybe have gone through a divorce, and in a divorce, if, particularly if you're the one left alone, you might say, this is the end of my life. Uh, Life can't go on. It will never be like it was without this relationship. You're like the Sadducees saying, well, it could never be heaven without marriage. No, you can have heaven without marriage. There's a powerful God. I don't know how he can do it. I don't know how he can come in and 
mend your heart and give you fulfillment and give you peace and give you love and make you feel like the most loved person on earth even without the man. But he's a powerful God. He can do that kind of thing. Jesus looks at these guys again and he says, listen, you don't know your Bible, but you don't know your God either. You don't know your God. Stand with me. Stand with me. I don't know how long I preached. I, <clears throat> I hope I'm not being paid by the minute. But I'm done. I want to encourage you today to increase your faith. Increase your faith. You may be in a place where you feel like it's hopeless. No, no, you have a powerful God. You may be in a place where you're saying goodbye to things and, and in your heart at times you look at your situation and say, how am I ever going to be happy again? And you got a powerful God. you got a powerful God. Without marriage, without, well, you know, without a lot of things, God creates heaven. It can still be heaven for you here on earth. You're still delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of life. It's still light. And God can make a way. God can make a way for you. In your hurt, in your pain, in your questioning, in your sorrow, even in the temporary darkness, there's a powerful God. And he makes a way in our wilderness. He delivers from the fire. He brings beauty for ashes. He's a powerful God. Let's pray together. Father, we stand here today as your children. Father, there are children here that are in need. They need their heavenly Father. They need hope. Father, I pray that in this moment that you would increase our faith. Father, there may be some who are here who are sad. But Lord, I pray that you would remind them that they are loved of you. That you haven't forgotten about them. That you care about them. That you love them and you are able to meet their needs according to your riches and glory. You are able to do abundantly and exceedingly beyond what we might even think to ask. Father, help us to be reacquainted with the power of God. Father, there are moments, and I even now sense my own weakness. But I know that when I am weak, I am strong. I know that your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Father, I pray that you would comfort your people, that you would draw them near. That for that one that is hurting, for that one that needs a touch of you, for that one who feels unloved and needs to be reminded that there is a man who came to earth Fully God, Jesus Christ, and he gave his life for them. That they may not perish. I pray, Lord, 
that they might be acquainted with him today. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us today. Father, we thank you. You have not left us alone. And we receive your power. And as we receive your power, we broaden our imaginations of what is possible in our life. The glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you today. Grab your big books, if you would, please. Turn to page 164. Page 164. What a beautiful message. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Take thy cross has sent us this morning. There's no heartache, no sadness, no situation that can happen in this world that one day God can't heal. Ninety-five percent, perhaps, of Christianity are like the folks that Nathan just preached about. They didn't believe that God had power. And they stand in their pulpits all over this country and preach every Sunday morning. I sin, you sin, we all sin. And it's locked on to the flesh's mind. And nobody can please God. Nobody can live free from the monster of sin. And so they've minimized God's so great a salvation. And when you get that in your mind that you can't win, and you get it into your mind that you can't overcome this and that addiction 
And you can't ever be like sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. You've lost the battle. Not only does God have power like we're never, we've never seen before in heaven, he's got power right now for every sinner who wants to come to Jesus Christ and get victory over his flesh and over the world and over the beast and over the mark and over his number and over his name. God's got wonder-working power right now for every one of us to live pleasing in his sight. Isn't that wonderful? If you really want to get free, you really want to get victory over whatever it is that's troubling you, you can have it. You can have it right now if you really want it. I thank God for the hope that there is. Amen. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. There's power right now for every sinner in this world to live above this old world. Thank God for that. And thank God we're not going to bring all our troubles and all our misery and woes into heaven. Heaven really is going to be a holy place. So if you're here and you've bought into what a lot of religion is peddling and you have been convinced by the enemy of your soul that you can't live the way you think God wants you to live, there's power. And you know what the Lord is doing? His eyes are running to and fro throughout this whole earth. And he's looking for that one person, that one boy or girl, man or woman, who's got a heart perfect towards God got a heart that believes that God can really change them and deliver them. I think it's so sad for people to come in church with their sins and then go out with their sins. If you got a need in your life and you really want to get victory over it, You came to the right place at the right time and heard the right message. So we'll sing another verse and leave it with you. It's a beautiful service and a wonderful thought. So let us sing, and if anybody else needs to pray, God bless you.